0: Let us pray. Dear God, I pray that we would consecrate, we would set apart this time now that we get to have in your word together. Thank you for our worship service so far and pray that everything's been honoring and pleasing to you, God, uh, from our hearts. And so, as was prayed earlier uh, by our brother Tony, I pray that we would have ears to hear, God, hearts that are open to what you have to say to us today. We'd receive it with humility and teachability and it would be preached with faithfulness and and accuracy and uh, you would be the one who would be exalted and glorified in this time. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, let's turn to that wonderful gospel, Mark chapter 12, as we complete this chapter that we've been in for the last while. Mark chapter 12, and today I want to start off By getting right in and just reading our passage today. Okay, usually there's a bit of an introduction and then we get there, but I'm going to turn that around a little bit today. And Mark chapter 12, our passage is verses 41 to 44. And once again, as we honor and respect God's word, if you can, stand with me as I read the text. Mark 12, four verses, 41 to 44 is for today. And this is the word of God. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. You may be seated. And I need to mention briefly here that there's a, a very highly respected and very prominent pastor uh, who preached a sermon on this passage, actually, the parallel passage in Luke chapter 21 about 15 years ago, and it caused a a bit of a stir, a little bit of controversy. Why? Because he didn't follow the traditional interpretation of this story. He argued from the context that this passage has little to do with the widow being a model of faithful and dutiful giving, that the widow is not the hero and example of the story, as has been universally taught almost by everyone. Right, He believes that this incident is actually a further example of the false legalistic religious system that Jesus was condemning these Jewish religious leaders for. And we've seen that um, just over the past while. Right, So let me just quote uh, from, from uh, the commentary that he wrote. And he says, quote, Jesus drew no principle regarding giving from her behavior. The text does not record that he condemned the rich for their giving or commended the widow for hers. He offered no comment regarding the true nature of her act, her attitude, or the spirit in which her gift was given. Nor were the disciples instructed to follow her example. In fact, it is not clear from the narrative that she truly knew God or believed in Christ. Some feathers are getting ruffled here. I can feel it. let me just finish here. (laughs) What is clear from the passage is that the widow is the victim of this story, duped into giving all she had by the false promise of Jewish legalism that doing so would bring blessing. She is a tragic example of how the corrupt religious system mistreated widows. And that is what connects this passage with the judgment passages that precede and follow it. End quote. So, just to briefly let you know, uh, during my studies this week, uh, going straight to the text and making my observations, I don't look at anything but the text when I start, putting down my my notes, considering the context that we've been preaching from Mark chapter 12 and the other passages in Luke and in Matthew. um, To my surprise, there was more to what this particular pastor, who most of us know and many of us love and appreciate. Um, more to what he said than I initially thought. And so back and forth I went um, just almost every day and sometimes a couple times a day. You know, I'd tell my wife one thing in the morning and then I'd talk to Pastor Bill and tell him another thing. And then I'd be in the car with Phoebe and tell her another thing. And so uh, just, uh, I, I was going back and forth on what the correct interpretation was and what the actual principle, the point of this well-known and beloved passage was. And I'll just tell you right now, okay, I finally landed on Friday morning on the traditional view, okay? Some of you are, oh, uh, Others of you are like, hey, no, no, that, that pastor's right. He knows a lot more than you do. But um, anyway, uh, we just go with what uh, we're just, we study hard and we dig in and um, hopefully uh, we can uh, get to a, a common understanding. And if not, there's room for disagreement. But last Sunday, our title was Your Life and Doctrine Matters, okay? So given where I landed, today's title is your giving matters. And I hope what's, um, what's known and assumed, and uh, we, we can know this as pastor and, and congregants, that um, when I say your, uh, I mean our. <laughs> I mean me first. So everything that we preached last Sunday about life and doctrine, that applies actually most directly and first to me, especially when Paul tells Timothy, pay close attention to your life and to your doctrine, right, your character and to your teaching. And so that's most directly applicable to to me as a shepherd, as a pastor, as a teacher. But it extends and applies to every single one of us. So your giving, my giving matters. And so in this well-known story, which even many non-Christians have heard or are a little bit familiar with, there's a principle here that the Lord draws our attention to. And I'll give you a portion of it, and then hopefully the rest of it will become clear as we go along. But um, here's the principle. Jesus wants his disciples and us, he wants his disciples to be aware of and understand what God values regarding our offerings to him, regarding our giving. I'll say it again. Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of and understand what God values regarding our offerings to him. And I'll point out that like a lot of teachings in the New Testament, Jesus gives his disciples like the, the initial instruction, Okay? And um, the principles and lessons, you find that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? And so they receive it first. And then in the rest of the New Testament letters, what do we get? We get the, the authors of the New Testament expanding and expounding on what Jesus taught and what he taught the disciples as they write down what the Holy Spirit moves them to write. So in all the letters of the New Testament, okay, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, we have further instruction and expansion of what Jesus initially taught the disciples, which then we can legitimately apply um, to our own lives, okay, based on a text like the one we have before us this morning. I hope that's clear. Okay? So what we're gonna do today is this: two things. Number one, we're gonna dig out the principle, <clears throat> the principle that Jesus is drawing out um, his disciples' attention to here in Mark chapter twelve. Okay, we're going to dig that out and hopefully make that clear and hopefully convince everybody. And then we're going to go to the rest of the New Testament, um, not all of it, but some selected passages in the New Testament to give us further principles and application. Okay, so it's going to be like a you know two almost equal parts here. First, getting into this passage, the principle of giving that God values. Okay, and then the second part of the message is the New Testament passages that speak to the principles and applications of that giving. All right, so the first. First thing is the principle of giving that God values. And once again, he wants us to be aware of what God values in our offerings to him. So the question that you should ask, which springs out of that principle, is this. Hey, what does God value? What does Jesus value regarding our offerings to him? I'm tempted to give you the short answer, but I'm gonna wait. Okay. But think about it. What does God actually value? Right? We're gonna go in this passage and dig that out, and then we're gonna go to the rest of the New Testament. Okay. So, verse 41, it says, He sat down opposite the treasury. So Jesus is going from one part of the temple where he was teaching, okay, where he's been the last couple Sundays that we've preached through, and, and it's actually like probably the same day here. Um, And mind you, it's just a few days before he goes to the cross. So everything that he's teaching here is like last words on earth, right? And so he's going from one part of the temple, but he pauses. He sits down when he gets opposite the treasury. So where is the treasury located? According to historians, this temple treasury was located in the court of the women. And this is where the women and children were allowed to worship, uh, according to Josephus, the, the historian. By the way, this is not... The part of the temple that Jesus cleansed, okay, that would be the court of the Gentiles where he was actually teaching before, and so um, that's where he overturned the tables of the money changers and the business profiteers and all those who are just um, just seeking to make uh, money out of out of the whole thing. Okay, that was a different part of the temple, the larger court of the Gentiles. So Jesus is coming from there, and now he enters into the court of the women, and so the the records indicate that there were thirteen metal receptacles, shaped like trumpets or like a a ram's horn, right? And these things were placed around the court where people could put their money in as their offerings. And each of those 13 receptacles were marked so that people would know what their offerings were going towards, whether it was the temple tribute, whether it was for priestly services, whether it was for sacrifices, for incense, for wood, for goodwill offerings— free will offerings, and etc. Okay, Sometimes in our practice here, um, if there's something particular that we want our offerings to go towards, we mark it on the envelope, right? And we say this is particularly for, like, last month or so, it was for Operation Christmas Child, right? Sometimes people designate things for the youth ministry and so on. Uh, in this case, all 13 of those receptacles, those shofars, were marked out. Okay, so note this. Mark, the gospel writer here, he doesn't say that there's anything wrong or anything right about people putting money into the treasury. Okay? We just need to observe what's, what's being said, right? So there's some things that are agreeable with what the other pastor was saying, but I'm taking the view that this is something that the Jewish people were supposed to do, right? Going back to the Old Testament laws and commands about tithing, about giving offerings, about supporting the Levitical priests in their service to the Lord. It seems this was just a part of life and worship for religious Jews. So it's good and normal practice for the people to be doing this faithfully, giving their offerings. And Jesus stops. He's observing these many people putting their coins into the treasury. So verse 41 continues. It says, And many rich people were putting in large sums. Okay, notice carefully with me. Mark says many rich people. Okay, Luke, in the parallel passage, and John and, and uh, Matthew, they, they don't mention this. Okay, Luke says the rich. Okay, so basically the same thing, rich people. It doesn't say the scribes, does it? Nor does it say the Pharisees. And so a lot of the, the theologians and commentators that I read who, who also fall on the traditional view they insert the scribes in, in amongst these rich people, and so interestingly, the scribes were not even like rich people; they were more the common folk along with the Pharisees. Okay, the aristocrats the the wealthy were the the Sadducees, actually, so there may have been some uh, amongst the Pharisees and scribes who were rich and, and putting in but i 'm separating this from them, you know, even though the context is what it is all right so I want you to notice, too, that there's nothing negative said about them putting in large sums of money, right? If anything, it's a good thing, a positive thing, okay, so far as we're making our way through the text. In any case, Jesus sees these many rich folks putting in a lot of money, okay, a lot of coin, right? But next he notices, and Jesus notices everything, doesn't he? He observes it all. A poor widow, a poor widow. She's not just a widow, okay, who in those times were... You know, by and large, uh, in a um, not such a a good situation, a dire situation, but even a poor, a poverty-stricken widow, someone who's in much, much need, um, amongst the most vulnerable ones that God in the Old Testament and the New Testament says that his people need to be taken care of and supporting, right? So she comes, she puts in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. A cent. So what she put in was worth, um, according to the, the the currency back then, one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Okay, so we understand, some of us, that one denarius is one common day's day laborer's wage. So a common worker working for one day would receive one denarius. Okay, what she put in with those two small copper coins was one sixty-fourth of that, right? I did a little quick math uh, just a few days ago, and it comes out to roughly $1.50 in today's time, okay? So if you're going by California minimum wage, all right, $1.50. So, so what does Jesus say about this? What does Jesus say about this? Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, he says to them, right, truly I say to you. So he's summoning the twelve. Right? He's summoning the twelve. Hey, hey, come here. Come here, men. Uh, I have something of utmost importance to say to you. Right? Truly, amen, truth coming. Behold, pay attention, listen up. This is something pretty significant. Right? Once again, just a few days left on earth. Listen up. Beware, disciples. And I would say this is for us as well. Okay? This poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, somehow, in Jesus' estimation, in the Lord's view, from his eyes, and he says that this poor lady's dollar fifty was somehow worth more value than all the large sums that the rich people had put in. Mind you, common sense tells us that the large sums that the rich people put in. Probably hundreds of dollars. I don't. It's not specific there, but just trying to equate it to today's um, currency. Probably hundred, hundreds, many hundreds of dollars as compared with her buck and a half. Now listen. He didn't say that the rich folks anywhere here are bad or evil or wrong, but he does say that she put in more than them. So the 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 logical question is, how is that? How, how did she put more in than the rest of them? And why? Okay, So this is kind of the key to all of this. Okay, Jesus gives the reason next. The explanation comes next in verse 44. For, because they all put in out of their, what? Their surplus. But she, out of her poverty. Okay, So his reasoning is that the rich gave their offerings from their surplus, their abundance, their plenty, their richness. Which, again, is not an outright criticism. It's not a condemnation of the rich. But comparatively, in contrast, this poor widow who's got practically nothing, she gave everything that she had, literally her whole livelihood. Okay, So I think this is where our principle becomes a little more clear, right? and I I want to submit this to you, Jesus wants his disciples to be aware and understand that God values the proportion of what is given over and beyond how much is given. Does that make sense? God, Jesus, values more the proportion of what is given over and beyond how much is given. I don't want to read in any more than what the Lord says here into this text. As has been mentioned, he doesn't exactly outright commend the poor widow, nor does he outright condemn the rich people. I agree with that. But putting the context together with Jesus' words, okay, the natural inference and implication is that he is commending this lady. Okay, I don't think it's as direct or as sentimental or as... You know, extreme as some of the the past interpretations have been and and sermons have been, but I do believe that the natural inference and implication of this is that there is some commendation, commendation, praise given to this poor widow as compared to the rich people. The rich folks gave what they could easily spare, she gave out of her poverty what she could not easily spare or spare at all. So I believe the fact that she gave all that she owned, okay, every last cent, okay, both coins, she didn't keep one of them, she gave them both, it reflects at least indirectly a heart for God. Okay, the, uh, the, uh, the other view says that there's nothing said about that, but once again, I don't want to read into the text uh, anything, but I think the fact that she gave all does reflect something of her heart for God and her heart to worship God, right? So, again, especially if we take the view that this is something that the Jewish people were supposed to do, right? Give of their offerings. It's part of the law. It's part of what God instructs. So, again, the simple yet profound principle seems to be, okay, once again, which he wants the 12 to know, he wants us to know, and he wants us to take it into serious consideration, okay? He has this for each of us this morning, somehow, some way. Truly I say to you, God places much importance and value on the proportion of what we give, the sacrifice entailed, more than just how much we give. As far as um, what's contained in this passage, I'll put it another way. It's not merely the quantity of the giving. It's the cost of the giving that matters more to Jesus. Right? You get that? It's not, not merely the quantity of the giving. It's the cost, the cost of the giving that matters more to Jesus. the poor widow gave all she had to live on. Hey, what was the cost for her? Hey, the quantity was one sixty fourth of a denarius, but what was the cost? Maybe eating that day or the next day or or buying something that you need just for life hey, so it's a contrast of proportion and sacrifice versus quantity and spare change okay so that's the principle that's the principle which i hope is clear and convincing and um now that we have that clarity and convic- um being convinced here comes the conviction <laughs> so it's so funny to me that um like people got really stirred up from hearing that that sermon and um you know no way just it can't be but uh on the other hand just Sermons on on giving along with evangelism are two of the most unpopular sermon topics there are to to listen to. Um, If we're, you know, believers and we really want to do what God says and then we get, you know, um, taught these things. But I'm going to go anyway. This is the second part of our message here. So what are those New Testament principles and applications of our giving? I'm not going to say everything there is uh, in the Bible about giving and offerings and tithing and all that. But I will say some, and hopefully, hopefully it's what's helpful and needed and challenging and edifying and encouraging. And by the way, I thank the Lord for our dear faithful Faith Bible Church Saints who for years and years and years have been faithfully uh, giving uh, towards the work and labors of God and the advancement of the gospel and, uh, just have been receiving the, the spiritual, um, benefits of all of that, um, praise the Lord, praise the Lord that, that God has raised up people who not are just, um, giving out of compulsion, but are giving because they know what the giving is for, and we're going to get into that now, okay? Our sermon title today, once again, is Your Giving Matters, Our Giving Matters, and so I I think I have, like, eight principles here that we're going to go over. Um, Let me start off with this, okay? Simply the privilege and duty of giving. The privilege and duty of giving. Some people are not even, um, and this is no criticism, but some folks are not aware that Christians are called to give offerings. They know it's maybe part of church and sometimes, you know, and sometimes we want to be careful, especially as pastors, um, you know, it, it's not about the money and we're not trying to just get more money out of people as we preach these things. Actually, it's been um, over three years since I preached directly on this topic. And, um, you know, that's partly for a reason. Indirectly, we've, we've gone through some things, but um, know this, it's both the privilege and the duty of believers. Hey, we get to contribute. We get to take part in the work of God, in the ministry of the gospel, in the building up of the church and all that's entailed there. We get to do it. And so, um, you know, this, this, uh, this application applies maybe specifically most, most primarily to our Faith Bible Church members, okay, specific to official members of our church. And can I say it might extend to those who are regular attenders here and maybe call this church their church home so, it may apply to you as well, as far as what the the call is, what the commands are, but I leave that to your conscience if you 're not a, an official faith bible church member um, as of this moment uh, i 'm not saying that you must give to our church, but I will say that it 's a conscience thing as a Christian, and it 's part of the privilege and duty of being a member it 's part of why uh, membership exists okay so just for example, let me remind our, our, our folks here, part of our FBC covenant pledges and promise um, is th- this is what you, you, know, you, you hold up your hand to as we, we uh, swear you into to membership of this church, okay? one amongst uh, a number of things. And um, I might scare away some, some people today, but that's all right. So part of the pledge is this. I will consistently serve and contribute as a good steward of God's blessings, such time talent and money in the measure that god prospers me so that our ministry our ministry of spreading the gospel locally and worldwide may continue okay so um that's part of the the pledge that members give as they become members of this church and so i'll just throw in there too we just went over the greatest commandment um a few sundays ago right which is love god with your whole heart whole mind, whole body, whole strength, right? Might, strength. Um, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so an expression of our love for God, the fullness of our love for God, is, is giving, faithfully giving our offerings. And even an expression of our love for the church and that Christ died for, and even an expression of our love for the lost because our church exists to go spread the gospel, okay? So um, before we get to the next uh, part here, an important note, so wisdom and prudence issues. And okay, before we get into the, the, the principles that the New Testament lays out, um, Mark twelve to forty-one to 44, which we just went over, okay, the story of the widow's mite, it can be applied very wrongly, okay, I think. Okay. Unwise stewardship, for example, um, giving so much where you're in constant debt or in continual need, um, because you're misapplying this this passage. Okay, I personally have never counseled anyone, especially someone who's in need, um, who's jobless, or is just finding themselves in a very difficult financial situation. Um, I've never counseled, or would never counsel, anyone to give all of your money to the church. Okay, that would be a, a, a very bad application of this passage. Okay. So I hope that's clear to everyone. Um, There's seasons of life. I just even remember back in my seminary days where money was beyond the shoestring budget. I don't know what's thinner than a shoestring, okay? But that's what we were on, right? And um, so uh, it, it was an appropriate season for us to give less than we wanted to. And, you know, just God knows our heart. Um, we, we I, I would not lead our, our young family. We had two little ones at that time. Philip and Phoebe were very young. Uh, Phoebe just born. And so I wasn't going to give too much on a weekly basis um, to, to lead us to just not have a car or to get evicted from our tiny little apartment, right? That would be unwise stewardship. So there's seasons of life where, you know, as long as our hearts are in the right place, God knows, right? So anyway... Here's the question uh, that many people ask. How much are we supposed to give? How much of our offerings are we supposed to give? So God doesn't tell us here in Mark chapter 12, Jesus doesn't tell us, nor anywhere else in the New Testament, exactly how much we're supposed to give. But uh, we're going to go to a few passages in a moment for those principles and those applications. But again, I think the principle from today's passage needs to be seriously considered right? It's not just the quantity, it's the cost of the giving that matters more to God. And um, it's, it's the proportion rather than the how much, right? So the follow-up question is this, does this mean that God doesn't care at all how much we give, right? It doesn't really matter how much we give for offerings as long as we give regularly or once in a while at least, which some people get in that habit. Hey, some people think that God doesn't care at all how much we give, so I think we better turn to the scriptures, right? Let's let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter eight. This is one of the primary passages. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses one through five. Some helpful New Testament principles of giving here to help us with that question: How much should we give? And um, let me just throw another, just kind of thing to to keep in mind here. Um, the how of our giving, okay, the manner in which we give, the heart of our, behind our giving, that should direct how much we give. Okay? That, that's kind of part of the answer. Okay? The how of our giving, the manner, the, the heart behind the giving, will, should, must direct how much we actually give on a practical level. So 2 Corinthians 8, uh, I'll read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll kind of go through it quickly. But now, brethren... Paul writing to the Corinthians here, the Corinthian believers, "...we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality." So very quickly, he's commending the churches in Macedonia for their their, their giving, their offerings, okay, towards other believers in need, right? Paul was kind of taking up a, a collection... So he's praising them and and showing them as an example to this Corinthian church who's having a lot of problems with a lot of things, right? So in verse 3, he describes them, the, the, the churches that are giving, and he says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this... Not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Okay? So in verse 3 there, the first, first thing that Paul mentions is, how are we to give? Sacrificially. Sacrificially. And this is the one that most directly relates to our passage um, from Mark chapter 12 that we just went over. Okay? According to their ability, he says. According to their means, they gave. Then, he quickly adds, and what? beyond their ability beyond their means it does remind me of, of that poor widow right they gave so sacrificially that's the first thing that paul mentions as far as just uh, the macedonian example so we all know this but it's helpful sometimes just to define things right what what even is the meaning of sacrifice it's it's to give something up for yourself so that others can benefit. And it's a very simple, basic thing, but very, we need to be very clear about that. To give something up for yourself that others would benefit by you giving it up. And that's sacrifice. Hebrews 13, verse 16, you can just jot it down. says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So, sacrifice by definition, by nature, it hurts, doesn't it? It costs something. It might mean going without something that you like or that you want. Whether it's a, a better car, or a, a bigger home, or nicer clothes, or less eating out, or less fancy restaurants. You know, I'm just going to strike that those those double dollar sign restaurants out because I, I want to give, right? I think maybe um we have time 2nd samuel 24 it's another place that we can go if you want to go there quickly with me 2nd samuel 24 and the end of the book here is where david takes the census that he should not have taken um, out of pride god said not to he did and so there's a a pestilence there's a, a thing that's sent from god and people were dying it was a great sin that David committed. And um, in verse 18, 2 Samuel 24, it says, So Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araunah, the Jebusite. So David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord had commanded. Araunah looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over toward him. And Araunah went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king then Arauna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be held back from the people. So David in repentance is going to, he wants to have this altar built on some land. And so he wants to buy this threshing floor from this actually unbelieving Canaanite named Araunah. And he says to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Araunah gives to the king. No, no, king, take it. It's for you. Free. And Araunah said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Verse 24. However, the king said to Araunah, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, quite a sum of money. Okay? So, in other words, David refused to give worship to God that cost him nothing. And he was offered it, He could have just taken it, but he said no, no. So again, leading to the how much question. How much are we supposed to give as New Testament Christians? And some people, tithing. That's, that's the answer, 10%, right? Well, the New Testament does not tell Christians to give 10%. And actually, that was only a portion of what the Old Testament instructions were to Israel. And to the Israelites, it was when you add them all up, it was far more than 10%. Some people say like 33%. But... Many people, and myself included, believe that it's a good principle to start with, good rule of thumb. Giving 10% of your income does demonstrate thankfulness to God for all that he's provided you. It helps us to remember that we must rely on God rather than on money. I mean, I think it's a fair question to ask, right? And I've asked people this in the past. And by the way, I keep far away from just any, just knowledge of what people give. In, in all of my ministry, I was told in seminary by Pastor Montoya, "Keep away from the three G's: right, from the girls, from the from the gold, from the glory." Right. So, anyway, it's it's a fair question to ask: like, what is sacrificial giving according to what God has blessed you with, given you your job, given you your finances, given you everything that you you have? It's a fair question. Is two percent sacrificial? I mean, would 2% hurt? 1%, is that enough? Would that be considered, following this principle of, of sacrificial giving? Is 5% enough? And just, by the way, 5% is what the financial advisors say that should be um, uh, an average person's budget for, set aside for a vacation. Okay? So just by way of comparison example, I, I just throw that out there. What, what is sacrificial? If for us, 10% is, puts a bit of hurt in, into things, right? But we, we want to do that. And, and so I think it's a good rule of thumb, good starting point. It's not necessarily the, the ending point, but let's go on as, as far as what the Bible says about this, okay? The second thing is voluntarily. He says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, they gave of their own accord. In other words, it wasn't because Big Bad Apostle Paul, capital A Apostle Paul, the boss, was forcing them okay, or commanding them or because they, they felt pressure by the by the pastor. Okay, they gave because they wanted to contribute to the needs of others. Okay, so the next chapter in Second Corinthians 9, verse 7, it says they, they did it or they're to do it not grudgingly or under compulsion. So if there's any sense of, I'm just doing this because I have to, or, oh, it's what the pastor said, or it's what the, you know, I guess I got, you know. God is not pleased with that, right? It needs to be voluntary. And that is an indicator of your internal heart. What's in your heart towards God? And nothing talks like money talks, right? You should check your checkbook. It'll tell you. It'll tell you what, what you prioritize, Like Jesus says, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's the money as you check your checkbook? Where is the money going? What is it being given to? How are you stewarding it? By the way, it's all his money, right? It's not even ours. He's like lending it to us. So voluntarily is the second principle here. Third thing is this. Eagerly. Eagerly, he says, Begging us with much urging. Right? That word, begging, it's, it's pleading. Okay? The, the believers in the Macedonian churches were imploring, begging, pleading with Paul for the opportunity to give away sacrificially okay? at a cost to them. How often does that happen? Right? I, I'm begging you for, for me to give to you. So the next thing is joyfully. Okay? It says there, for the favor of participation. For the favor of participation. They considered it favor. They considered it a blessing. Hey, the givers, a joy to be able to participate, it says, in the support of the saints. They, they considered it joy. Once again, the famous verse in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. For God loves a what? A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Okay? Um, once again, I, I, I feel like uh, the, our, our time of worship when the offering plate goes around as we used to do, I mean, I, I feel like that should be the, one of the happiest times of our worship service. People just joyfully giving. I can't believe I get to be a part of this. Part of the work of God, God's glorious plan to build up the church and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ that souls might be saved. I get to, I get to be a part of this, right? So joyfully, the fifth thing is this, out of devotion and love for Christ. Out of devotion and love for Christ. In verse 5, It says, But they first gave themselves to the Lord. And that's that's where their hearts were, giving over themselves, their lives, their entirety, over to God. Again, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God and Jesus first, that's the priority. The sixth principle here in this passage um, is purposefully. Um, actually that's kind of implied in this passage but look at uh, the next chapter chapter 9 verse 7 it says each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart okay so that's where we get purposeful another word to think about is intentional intentional planned giving right budgeted so just at the beginning of the year, maybe some of you do as we do and we're planning our budget for the, for the oncoming year, and what is the first thing that we, we have on our spreadsheet? What's the first thing that we think about? Okay? It's, it's our giving. Okay, whatever our income is, and uh, we're going to do the appropriate percentage of that. Right? It's not haphazard. It's not, well, if I happen to have a few extra bucks in my wallet or my pocket today, or oh yeah if I if I remember to write that check I'll I'll, I'll give right that would not be intentional okay, that would be haphazard random and not according to the principles laid out here for us okay, seven out of eight here okay as a priority we've already mentioned that priority but the word that we want to link to priority is first fruits. Okay, first fruits. And this is an Old Testament concept, Old Testament principle. We're not going to go there, but let me just give you some verses. Okay? Exodus 23, verse 16. Exodus 34, 22. Leviticus 2, 12 to 14. 2 Chronicles 31, 5. Okay, we could could go on, but um, those are just some examples of this Old Testament concept of first fruits. What was the point? Okay, Old Testament believers were to give from the best of their crops hey, the best of what they have not the leftovers not the leftovers and we can carry that same principle over to our giving as new testament christians today okay like i said we're making a budget or we're, we're planning our, our finances it's not like the crumbs that are left over that i'm going to give for my offerings right even as we were training our children from just very young age and giving them just a very meager allowance a few dollars right? We taught them from that, like the first one, the one on the top. Okay, that's one that's set apart for God. Just a visual representation, okay? So this is uh, just training that habit to, for them to grow into. And obviously there was um, gospel purpose, gospel love, emphasizing Christ's love. And out of love for God and his church, this is why we're doing it, right? So so blessed by our brother. Ah, I won't put him on the spot. Anyway, one of our brothers just asked me about that. It's like, you know, I receive a certain amount of income, and I, I just can't get to the bank, and just literally he was wanting to give the first before he spent it on anything else. So how do I do that? Just really, really precious. i um, thankful. So anyway, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The first couple of verses there. Listen. Paul writes to the Corinthians once again now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia so do you also yeah, he's, he's giving them the pattern here on the first day of every week each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper right so first and best day of the week is the first and best day to give of our offerings and so that regularity as a priority is, is part of that and so um, as part of first fruits, just understand that, that principle. Okay, those first fruits that the Old Testament um, believers were, were to give, I mean, the, the context was of, of thanksgiving to God, right? For providing all the crops, for answering prayers, for giving them all that they needed all the time. And so there was an element of celebration there. So just to tie that in with joyful giving, there's, um, that's, that's part of this, this priority, okay? And so last but not least is faithfully faithfully, and um, in other words, in faith, with faith, okay, believing. As you give, give full of faith. Give believing for two things. Number one, for present needs. Do we believe that God is going to provide for us? He's going to provide for us as he has always in the past, as he's doing right now. He will do so in the future. Do you believe that, that he's going to provide for your old age, for whatever health issues might come up, for your retirement, do you believe that God is going to provide? Okay, It requires real, genuine, sincere, and much faith to give as God instructs, as we've laid out, sacrificially, voluntarily, purposefully, priority, intention, all of that. Okay, It takes faith, actual faith, actual believing he's going to provide for your needs, especially in this current Economic climate, right? All of us have have observed inflation, gas prices, food costs. Everything and everyone is being affected, okay? including our neighborhood cats, who seem to be a lot skinnier lately. Okay, uh, it's that much harder to exercise real faith in times like this. So I just want to acknowledge that. Okay? but um, you know what? Philippians four, verse nineteen. You don't need to turn there, but. Uh, Philippians 4.19, Paul says to the believers there, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What a precious promise. You know why that's so precious? Because he's not even talking about only material needs. He says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's not just talking about material needs, although it does include that, but it includes spiritual needs. And so, yes, we need to believe God for present and future physical needs, but also for external reward, because that's what he promises, right? Philippians 4, again, in verse 16, uh, verse 17, he says, because Paul was... Thankful for the Philippians, because they were sending him money while he's in prison. Not money, but stuff, right? Needs that he had. And what a blessing the Philippian church was to him, because he's writing from prison. But he says in verse 17 of Philippians 4, Not that I seek the gift itself, yeah, the gifts that you've been giving, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So part of Paul's happiness and contentment and delight was that. He was thinking about the spiritual profit, spiritual blessing, spiritual gain, fruit, that the Philippians, as they gave to Paul, were going to receive. I hope that's clear. That's part of our eternal reward. Again, Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, and that's part of it. Okay? So, do we get it? These New Testament principles and applications of giving and offering. This is... What's been laid out it needs to be sacrificial, voluntary, eager, joyful okay, in devotion and love to Christ, purposeful as a priority and faithful. And okay, so that is the kind of the, the expansion, the fleshing out of what the core principle that we saw in Mark chapter 12 was. And so let me end with this um, just anecdote about king tut king tut was a a boy king of egypt his reign lasted until 1323 bc you know what he died at the age of like 18 very young and by the way in the context of history this is only about 75 years or so after the death of moses okay Um, but 1323 is when king tut died And more than 3,000 years later, in the year 1922, roughly, actually exactly 100 years ago now, wow, the British archaeologist Howard Carter discovered King Tut's tomb. Amazingly, it was complete and mostly undisturbed, and this remains one of the most remarkable and sensational archaeological discoveries of all time. They found that this boy king was buried with solid gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts. There were over 5,300 items found, including face masks, thrones, archery bows, trumpets, a lotus chalice, food, wine, sandals, and fresh linen underwear. It took archaeologists 10 years to catalog all the items. King Tut's gold coffin was found within gold tombs, within gold tombs, which were also within gold tombs. The burial site was filled with literally tons of gold. And that tomb, with all of its items, all of its artifacts, was moved. And there was much fanfare and police security involved. Uh, A few years ago, from the Egyptian National Museum to the Grand Egyptian Museum in the city of Cairo. So I want us to contrast that with the tombstone of this American missionary named William Borden. His tombstone was also located in the city of Cairo, but in a graveyard near an alley leading to an area of overgrown grass, an obscure, dusty plot off a garbage-littered street. Missionary William Borden lived from 1887 to 1913, He was a Yale graduate, an heir to vast wealth, Borden, but he rejected a life of ease because he wanted to bring the gospel to Muslims. He even refused to buy himself a car. Instead, he gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to the cause of missions for the spread of the gospel. You might have noticed his dates, 1887 to 1913. He didn't live long either, just like King Tut. He died at 25 years old. After only four months of zealous missionary work in Egypt, he died of spinal meningitis. The epitaph on his tombstone describes his love and sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for the Muslim people. And the inscription ended with this phrase, Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, there is no explanation for such a life this this man lived a humble modest sacrificial life of service to the Lord the one true king and he's now enjoying his everlasting reward in the presence of Christ his Savior and God so just by way of illustration once, once again folks the, the principle is proportion, the cost of our giving, not just the amount, not the quantity but we've gone through some of the principles there, the first of which was sacrificial and follows on to the rest. And so the poor widow, she gave all she owned, all she had to live on. And you know, once again when we consider the Son of Man who laid down his life, he gave in an even more significant and eternal and ultimate sense everything for sinners like us. So what is he worthy of? When we consider, just when we consider this topic of, of giving and of offerings, I hope we can sing together. Pastor Bill's favorite hymn, and Ruth, uh, part of Ruth's offertory, right? Verse three: Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold; not a mite would I withhold, not a mite would I withhold? And once again, this is not a plea for you to give more money to the church. This is a a plea for you to give according to God's word. He will direct you. He will will encourage you for those who are giving and he will challenge you and convict you for those who need help in this. So I hope this was a a blessing and a help to everyone here today. And um, just by the way, our, our visitors, we don't expect any offering today whatsoever. Okay? uh, If that wasn't clear already, I want to make it clear now. But um, I hope everyone has been blessed by our message today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for, once again, uh, you giving us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness in your word. And along with uh, the previous hymn verse that was mentioned, I pray that we can sing together. As we survey the wondrous cross, God, we confess to you, Lord Jesus, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small of what you're worthy of. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We 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 lift that that confession, that praise, and that prayer up to you, God, even right now, and ask that you would bless the rest of our our day today in Jesus precious name amen